Hello, good people. Ashton Gustafson here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. A dear friend, comrade, confidant, mentor, dare I say, village elder, if that's okay, uh, is joining us again today. Uh, He's been a voice that we've all grown to love and trust over the years, Dr. Kelly Flanagan. Uh, You remember his first book, Lovable, came out and um, was such a just a beautiful aligning read for so many of the dialogues that we've had here. I know so many of you guys wrote in and and talked about how much that book meant to you. The good news is uh, he has another book coming out that we're going to chat about a little bit. And um, it's always good to hear his voice, always good to have him on the podcast. And with that being said, Brother Kelly, welcome back. Now, it's good to be here, Ashton. I feel exactly the same way. It is always good to hear your voice. feels like home. <laughs> well, um, you know, I'm just a little redneck. I'm your redneck buddy down here in Texas. <laughs> um, so uh, I, before we get going, uh, maybe some of our folks here haven't crossed paths with you yet. Um, when you introduce yourself and your work in the world, uh, where do you begin? That's a great question. Um, I... It, I think you've asked me this before, and I think it changes every time <laughs> I uh, answer it. And You're I think in that's flow. Probably, You're a right? mystery. That's, probably, <laughs> that's what it should be doing, right? It's just always evolving and changing. That's um, right. You know, I, uh, it says on, on my website these days, it says I, I enjoy walking with people through the, the three essentials of a truly satisfying life, which I highlighted there in lovable worthiness and, and belonging and purpose. Although, uh, you know, I, I own a... A therapy practice and uh, at the beginning of the year here what we're doing in staff meetings is each of us is bringing sort of our life mission statement to, to a staff meeting and giving the backstory to this point behind that life mission statement Beautiful. and uh yeah it's been amazing I, I actually did did mine just yesterday and uh the the mission statement that i brought to the team this year was that um my my mission in life is to awaken in people their longing for their true self and then equip them to live in love from it. Um, Let's go. Yeah, right? Because um, I think that's like when I'm, you know, when I'm as a therapist, uh, when I'm writing, when I'm speaking, when I'm having a conversation with you, hopefully as a dad, and a husband, a friend, you know, that's, um, if I have to, if I have to evaluate a day, did it feel meaningful or did it feel meaningless? Um, if there's a little bit of that awakening happening in me or amongst my people or whatever, it's a, uh, it's a meaningful day. So right now that's, that's sort of where I'm at. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, maybe some of our friends listening have never heard the language of true self. Um, cliff notes, a snippet. Can you, <sighs> can you, can you paint a picture? Is it paintable? Uh, do words damage what we're trying to talk about here? Um, when you bring up true self, uh, give me some handlebars for what you're talking about. Well, yeah, I wouldn't, I would, I would not say that we shouldn't try to put words to it. Right. I I wouldn't disagree with father Richard Rohr who says, uh, you know, it's like an immortal diamond. Um, I, uh, the way that I, the way that I come at it, you know, the handlebars that I cling to are those, those of my, you know, both my spiritual experience and my psychological training. And, uh, you know, I sort the way I sort of describe it in lovable is that, um, our true self is the, the self that we came into the world with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a mixture of humanity and divinity and it is beautiful. Uh, it gets good, true and beautiful. Uh, right. Hello. And, uh, and it's absolutely, 
Hello. That'd be a great name for a podcast, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, and, uh, and it's absolutely worthy of love and belonging. And, uh, and then at some point in life, we start to get nailed by, by life mm-hmm. and people and existence. And we start to get hurt and we start to feel ashamed and wonder if really maybe the way we were sent into the world um, isn't good enough for love and belonging. So we build a false self. Um, to, to go out and earnest the love and belonging that we um, so deeply desire and are worthy of. And, um, and then, you know, the rest of life it, to me is a, is a bit of a, it's a, again, it's a reawakening to the true self we buried because we thought it wasn't good enough. And then, then it's a dance between mm-hmm. the two. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, your true self observing your false self at work, trying to protect you and then making, making wise decisions about when to relinquish that false self and, and just show up as you to the world. Um, so that's, that's where I, that's the angle that I come at it from. It's that developmental, um, perspective of how we start, what happens and, and how we get back to where we started. Mm. Well, thanks Kelly for coming on today. That was a great interview. Uh, we're, we're done now. That's all we <laughs> needed to hear. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, you and I know we kind of geek out on all things true self. Um, Absolutely. you know, it's the, uh, that was the aha for me. Uh, mm. a mortal diamond was the ringing the doorbell on my chest, mm-hmm. uh, introducing me to the name before I had a name. Mm-hmm. Um, the endless you is what I call it. The endless you. The endless you. Um, yep. and so, yep. Yeah, you know we, what I sometimes think of Ashton is, uh, if you remember the book, the great divorce by CS Lewis, Yes. Um, but when in that allegory, when they go to heaven, everything is so real. It's almost like you can't walk on the grass cause it's so sharp and hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we tend to think of our false self as the real thing, yeah. you know, it's yeah. who we are, but the truth, like, that's why I love that immortal diamond. It's, yeah. it's so real. It's the endless, it's the endless, the, um, it's, it's, it's so real that we can't even, we can't even really fathom it in yeah. a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a different kind of real. It's, I love it. Yes, beautiful. Well said. Um, so talk to me. New book's coming out. What day does the book yeah. come out? <laughs> uh, True Companions, a book for everyone about the relationships that see us through. It comes out on February 9th. Um, anywhere books are sold, along with a study guide. Um, and Well, it doesn't come with a study guide. you got to get that study guide, too. But, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's coming up soon. So... Um, let's walk down True Companions a bit. So I, I think maybe it would be good for some of our listeners uh, that, that are familiar with your work to kind of hear how this was birthed, maybe either before or after Lovable. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like Lovable kind of answered a question, and now this mm-hmm. True Companions is, is answering a question. How do you want to begin that chat? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, Lovable was was really um, a culmination. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I think it was a culmination of a chapter in in my growth, healing story. In a lot of ways, it was it was telling folks what I've learned along the way, um, in a way hopefully that that they could sort of take it in and be guided by it too. Um, and I'll give you a, a concrete. So there's several ways that I think True Companions um, takes takes Lovable and then carries it forward. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, you know, like one of them, for instance, um, you know, lovable is is definitively about the unconditional love of God um, and the unconditional love of God that creates creatures that are unconditionally lovable. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to um, discover that love within us, um, make it the the centerpiece of our identity, and then and then share that love going forward. Um, I I started to realize though, you know, there's there's four words for love in the Greek language, um, and one of them is agape, which means unconditional love. But there's another word for love, and it's philia, um, and we would probably translate that it's uh, as as companionship. Hmm. And I started to realize that in the healthy relationships, the healthiest relationships that I saw, um, both of those loves sat next to each other in the relationship. Um, that a lot of times in companion, like in in relationship and committed, whether it's friendship, whether it's marriage, um, partnerships of any kind, when you when you saw that there was only unconditional love, um, you saw you saw a love that was sort of happening from a distance, or you saw a defensive kind of love. For instance, um, you know, my wife and I, I she she get on me about not uh, you know not showing up as a dad the way that I needed to show up, right? And I'd say, why don't you just love me unconditionally? <laughs> why don't you just accept who I am, right? Which is just a way of saying is it's not like I don't I want you to love me perfectly. It's like love me as if I'm perfect, even though I'm not. <laughs> Right. And, um, and my wife, you've met her. She doesn't let anybody get away with that. Um, (laughs) because I think she loves with a, um, a more complete kind of love, um, with philia that says, Mm -hmm. Hey, we're in relationship and I'm going to challenge you to grow. And I want you to challenge me to grow. Um, and, and yes, unconditional love can be the foundation of, of those challenges, but there's a, there needs to be a mutuality and a sacrifice and a give and take and, uh, and a recognition that we're imperfect, but trying to get better. Um, it's a, it's a sort of a grittier, um, kind of love. And, and so I wanted to write about what that looks like in relationships about how when we when we say in relationships just love me unconditionally and you scratch the surface of that it's really a way of saying don't challenge me hmm. don't don't ask any more of me um, don't don't challenge me to become a more whole person um, I, I don't want to do it right now um, and so I wanted to I wanted to look at what relationships look like when we were challenging each other in those ways in loving ways yeah. um, and uh, and so add that piece to the unconditional love from lovable is one example the other one Ashton, that, that really anchors the book. Um, this was <laughs> this was a bit of a bummer for me at first, <laughs> is that um, I discovered um, shortly after publishing Lovable that as my um, as my shame was, I think, slowly diminishing, my sense of loneliness wasn't, hmm. um, and I didn't know what to do with that. Um, and that's really where True Companions picks up is um, if if loneliness and shame are two different things, what are they? How are they different? Um, and how do we learn to relate to our loneliness apart from our shame and other painful experiences like abandonment, isolation, and those sorts of things? And if we learn to relate to it as something different, might there be a gift in that? Mm-hmm. Um and so that was really the jumping off point for writing True Companions. Interesting. You're, I always always ask this question to people that do what you do for a living. Not this specific question, but questions like these. Because yeah. I always want to connect breadcrumbs. I always want to connect the dots, see where the breadcrumbs are leading. You're talking shame and loneliness. Does mm-hmm. one come before the other? Like, do you... Do you yeah. experience shame and then that leads towards loneliness? Are you lonely and then that leads towards some type of shame? 
because um, the book, funny thing about com- you know true companions is you do write a lot about brokenness, loneliness, yes. shame. I mean these are uh, these are not anchors that I think I was expecting mm-hmm. um, in, in the book, but super right. necessary and helpful. Your your thoughts on connecting the dots of shame and loneliness. Well, you know, I think when you talk about loneliness, it's it carries such a, a weight and a connotation for so many people. Um, I like to tell a little bit of story to, to loosen that up a little bit. Um, I, uh, I had a couple who came in to see me, and it's not a story about loneliness. It's a story about the words we use mm-hmm. and how important it is to be clear about the words yep. we use. Yep. Um, this couple comes in, this is a, this is a decade or so ago, and um, they're fighting about whether or not to put the new television in their living room. And so this was, this was the appointment that Dr. Flanagan, we need to come see you for this. (laughs) Well, they've been coming in for a while and they've been doing really well. And then they just show up like some random Tuesday night and they're like, they're duking it out about the television living room. It doesn't make any sense to me. Best buy got the best of them. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) So I'm sitting there and, and we're doing what we always do in, in counseling sessions with me where, um, you know, they're communicating and I'm listening and, um, encouraging them to pause and paraphrase and, and you know, use healthy communication skills. But I'm listening and it's starting to dawn on me uh, something. And, and I stopped them and I said, I said to him, I said, hey, can you describe the living room in your house? And he starts to talk and describe the living room. And she goes, that's not the living room. That's the family room. And he goes, no, it's the living room. She goes, no, that's the family room. You can put a TV in there. I don't care. Um, <laughs> and... and and I think when I use the word loneliness, um, most people think of a room that is is sort of decorated with experiences of abandonment, mm-hmm. people who left them intentionally and unintentionally, um, you know, by death, divorce, um, friendships that didn't work out or whatever. They think of shame, the, the belief that um, they're alone because they deserve to be, because they're not good enough for for love and belonging, and and they think of isolation, um, this 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 lone this 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 room for one, right, where there's no one really in the front row of my life paying attention to me, and and when I say lonely, I'm talking about a different room in the house mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, of who we are, and it's this room that is right at the center of us. Uh, it's a room uh, unlike any other any other room in the entire universe. It, it, actually, within creation and time itself, um, it's a room that holds all of our uniqueness. And because of that, it's a room that no one else can totally understand, even if they could get to it, which they can't because it's it's at the center of us. No other human being can journey all the way there. And so in that sense, at, at the core of us, we are basically lonely, um, totally unique, can't be understood, and no one can get there. Um, and... Um, this experience is one we often confound with these other rooms in our, our house, like abandonment, shame, and loneliness. Um, but the reality is, if you try to eliminate your loneliness in its purest form, you're eliminating your uniqueness. Mm-hmm. You're, eliminating, you're eliminating what it is about you that makes you truly special and rare. Um, and I would argue, too, that when we talk about getting all the way to the center of you, if you eliminate your loneliness you're eliminating the, the, the dwelling place of God within you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so for me, loneliness has become, as I've, as I've, as I've worked through this um, experience, um, loneliness has become a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, 
loneliness is something that I can move toward and into within myself and learn things about myself and understand myself better and draw closer to God in the midst of it. Um, and then come back to my people with a huge gift, which is this (laughs) in the past, if I felt lonely in my relationship, I blame my wife for it, right? She wasn't doing something to take away my loneliness. Now I know she can't No, no other human being can. So instead I come back to relationship with the capacity to be truly alone within myself and not introduce that tension and conflict into the relationship, but just rejoice at the fact that she wants to understand me as well as she can, right? And to be grateful for that. Um, so it's a game changer for relationships, but it requires that inner journey into that into that room that is so different, actually, from all of the ways that we're wounded. Yeah, yeah. Well said. So you're, if I'm hearing you right, this loneliness... <clears throat> It actually can have a little brightness to it. It it, mm. it it can actually, we can welcome it. it. It can be an invitation to to really that that aha of you are this cosmic human cocktail that has never. There's only one of you. No one's ever tried you before. Um, That's exactly right. And yep. uh, and and tell me from your experience. After you've experienced that quote unquote loneliness, where does that door take you? Because you're still alone, right? In the universe. There's still not, even though you experience, you're not uh, finding another you to go, right? We see everything's just the same way. What is that? Mm. What is that essence of who you are when you come back Mm. in your companionship? (laughs) Like, give me the, give me the word to say, I just kind of, I, I need to hear like, oh yeah, I'm on the right path. There's a North Star after I've moved through the loneliness to come back and say, here I am. And maybe maybe that's it. Here I am. (laughs) Yeah, that's a big part of it, right? To say, and to say, here I am without expectation or aggression, you know, or the fact that you have to, you have to totally get me, you know? Um, I'd say three things. Um, How, what, what is, how do we know that we are, um, sort of being transformed by this encounter with our loneliness. I think one, I think one that for me personally, um, and I write this in true companions, um, it turns out loneliness is God at first glance. Um, that the lonely spaces within us that want to shy away from, because we think there must be something wrong with it, that I, I feel lonely in here. Um, that we, if we can actually stay in that space, um, we discover that it's a holy space, um, and that we actually, we are, we are, separate from other human beings in that space, but not separate from the divine ground, number one. Um, and so therefore it becomes an incredibly peaceful experience rather than a fraught one. Um, number two, I think, um, I think a lot of our relational lives are dictated by demands for other people to take care of us and to care for us in small ways and big ways. And I think when you've really made peace with your loneliness and befriended it, you feel much more um, not comfortable, codependent. <laughs> not codependent, and engaging in really healthy self-care, hmm. right? To yeah, recognize yeah, yeah. that when when we're depending upon care from other people constantly, it is a finite resource. It's always scarce, and it always feels like we're grabbing for it. But when we decide that we can truly, deeply care for ourselves, um, then then care becomes a, a, a you know an endless resource. There's abundance. Um, and it doesn't mean that we care for ourselves to the exclusion of others. It just means that we can care for others and also take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in all sorts of ways. I mean, uh, you know, ask ask the five year old and you, what do you want to do today to take care of ourselves? And you're going to hear some amazing things. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's it's going to it's going to be awesome. You're going to do some playful things and some things you haven't done in years. And so that's two. And then I think number three is <laughs> the the demand in relationship for someone to take away your loneliness is mm. such an impossible demand to meet. And then we think there's something wrong with them. They don't love me enough. There's something wrong with this relationship. And and I see loneliness not as something to be taken away from the other, but as something to be shared together. Um, so for me to come to my wife, who's also named Kelly, and to say, Kelly, this is the way I'm feeling lonely right now um, in life, uh, in moments with you, um, in moments with the kids, in moments at work. This is how I'm feeling like no one's really getting what it's like to be me. And then for her to say, these are the ways that I'm feeling lonely right now, right? And there's no pressure for either one of us to take the other's loneliness away. But what a deep sense of connection that mm-hmm. happens in that moment, ironically, right? Um, because now the one thing you're not alone in is your experience of loneliness that can no, be shared. Yeah, You're not measuring so, it. You're not comparing right. loneliness. No. You're just saying, yeah, I've got some of that too. Yeah, I'm human too. This is what mine's looking like right now. Um, and and yeah, and I think that can can really be a beautiful thing. So ironically, by by letting go of this this compulsion to get rid of our loneliness and instead just to make space for it in our relationships, our relationships are deepened. Our closeness is is made stronger. Yeah, I think you wrote, um, "I will always be a little alone within the experience of being me." Um, yes, that's right. Like. Yeah, that's um, that's that's a hard sentence to hug. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I think that's like awesome. like when Good you put that. when you think yeah, I mean when you think through um, all of these personality yeah. profile things that we have to to boast in our individual uniqueness and things like that. But there yes. there is there is a shadow side. You know, there is a side of this that is. Um, it is lonely to be you. Um, and yet realizing that simultaneously can be the gift. Um, Mm, and I think that's the beauty. The beauty of your work is, is you always bring it back to, Hey, don't forget it's an inside job. That's right. With lovable. Don't think you're going to go find it out there in a bio on a business card it, what what have you it, it it's here it's actually already there and it's available with with it, you know with this book too i think it's like hey you're not someone else isn't going to heal you you need to start on the inside right. oh so I w- i'd love to say two things about that one the the study guide is um organized um around what i call the iou pattern of growth inward outward upward Um, you know, that, that before we go outward toward anybody else, even in a moment, let alone an over course of time in a relationship, we have to be willing to take that inward journey to understand, um, who we are, um, and to understand what, I like that inward, outward, upward. Yeah. And so every session in the five sessions of the study guide is actually organized around that pattern where there's a, a space for an inward journey. Um, and then an outward journey where you're encouraged to pair up with one person and interview each other about the ideas. And then the upward journey toward the bigger group and the bigger ideas where you all get together and talk. Um, so to me, I, you're, you're nailing it, you know, that, 
that inward journey is the foundation for our outward journey towards other people and our upward journey towards the divine. So I, um, it's so fundamental. The other thing that you just said that's, um, is really, this was, I mean, you talk about building unlovable. I realized, so I was at a, I was leading a, a men's retreat and I was explaining the, the castle metaphor in lovable for the, the ego or mm-hmm. the false self, yep. how we have how we have walls, cannons, and thrones that protect us. And then we have a drawbridge, too, where if we want to, our true self can lower the drawbridge on our false self and come out and show up to the world, right, and see who celebrates. And that's when you found belonging, mm-hmm. right, is yeah. when people see you, see your true self and go, I want more. I want more of that. Like, yeah. let's let's hang. And uh, the leader of the retreat, he said, uh he laughed. He goes, yeah, it's like you're, you know, you're, it's like you're running naked through the countryside, you know, when you find, <laughs> find belonging. And I was like, that's really true. And, and, but then I got home and I was thinking more about this. And this is as I was wrestling with the ideas and true companions. And, uh, I realized that's how what it's like to find belonging, but that's not what it's like to build belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, like you find belonging by, by revealing your true self and, and seeing who's interested. Um, but, it relationships don't feel like running naked through the countryside, <laughs> right? They, they feel like much more like this sort of this in between place where you're, you're trying to show up as your true self as frequently yeah. as possible, but false self is always there just at a moment's notice, ready to protect you. Right. Yeah. And, um, and as I thought about that, I thought about what happens with butterflies actually, that they, they retreat into the loneliness of their cocoon to become the beautiful thing that they are. Um, and then their emerging is very interesting mm-hmm. when, when they've decided that that protection no longer serves them well, um, the way they get out of those protections and beyond them to fly is they push outwards with their wings until they, they rupture the cocoon and eventually, you know, they push and then they rest and they push and they rest. Interesting thing about it is if, if you, if you cut a butterfly out of its cocoon and do the work for it, it can't fly mm-hmm. because it's in that process of pushing its way out that it's strengthening its wings enough to fly. And and so what I did in the second part of, of True Companions is we, we sort of – we take this idea of finding belonging and we, we take it to the next level of building belonging. And that work that we each have to do of identifying what are our protections and how do we observe them and get to know them and begin to move past them and beyond them and push our way out of them. And we can't do it for our companions. They've got to do their own work. If we try to do it for them, they won't, they won't grow strong enough to love. Right. Um, and so to me, companionship is two people mutually agreeing. Um, I got a lot of work to do on my ego, my false self and my protections. And I want to do that work with you. Will you do yours with me? Yep. Okay. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the, that's the second piece of, of true companions in the middle part of the book. I love it. I'm just sitting here thinking pattern of everything, butterflies, resurrection, hero's journey. (laughs) All of it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the best thing we could tell our kids is just never get tired of studying butterflies. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) They hold the truth. (laughs) They hold the truth. Um, Speaking of hero's journey. uh, Yeah. I, I think in the book you danced around this a bit of, learning yep. how to be alone kind of is the hero's journey. Um, yeah. Talk to me, talk me through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I actually think in the chapter you're, you're talking about, I, I take us through the whole, like the, 
the full like 12 stages of the hero's journey. Um, so the first stage of, I don't know that we have the space here to do that, but in the first stage of the hero's journey, the hero is living in the ordinary world, right? Yeah. Are pretty much oblivious to, to, to bigger things yep. going on. Um, and then they hear the call to adventure, right? The call, the call into the extraordinary world. And I would say, when it comes to loneliness and the journey that we need to take into our loneliness, that inward journey again, um, the call to adventure can come in so many ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, we, uh, if we were, if we were a little bit mindful, we'd realize that our loneliness sort of calls to us a dozen times a day, two mm-hmm. dozen times a day, three dozen times. It could be the um, call to adventure. It, it is. I would argue that when it comes to our um, when it comes to our inward journey, I think it is the call to adventure. Um, but then, but then the hero refuses the call, right? Mm-hmm. We get back on our phone, send a bunch of texts, scroll through Facebook, check the news, um, work harder, you know, have a drink, whatever, whatever it is for, for you. Um, I do all of those at one point or another. Um, and, and so we refuse the call. We say, Ooh, you know, and there's a comedian at one point who joked that every time he felt lonely, he just send a hundred texts and wait to see who texts back fastest. You know, <laughs> um, and um, so there's the refusal of the call, but then hopefully there's a mentor. Um, and actually, in the hero's journey, there's always a mentor, and I think that's true for us as well—a mentor who comes alongside of us and pushes us over the threshold into our adventure, encourages us over the threshold, um, and and my hope is that 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 true companions is that mentor for a lot of people, mm. saying you know what, it's calling to you. Uh, and gosh, I think this year more than most, we're aware of how our loneliness is calling to us. Um, and uh, and so, you know, hopefully True Companions is that little nudge that people need to go on this, this inward journey. And then when you do, and this is the reason deep down so many of us don't want to go on the inward journey, the next stage of the hero's journey is that you run into a bunch of enemies. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, headwinds. Headwinds, and you run into... <laughs> You run into your experience right off the bat. You run into your experiences of abandonment, shame, and isolation, mm-hmm. which is why I think we get confused so much, thinking that they're the same as our loneliness. Is we hear the call of our loneliness, but the first things we run into are those those painful, broken, wounded experiences. Um, and so we need to do some inner work to to sort those out, to to begin healing those, to at least parse them out from that deep center in us that is really our loneliness, so that we can keep moving towards it. Wow! Wow! Man, well, I'm super stoked for you. Um, I'm super stoked for your community that has followed you all these years. And then uh, I know all of us here definitely can't wait to uh, get into this book and and dial it in some more. Um, True Companions, early February. Give me the date again. Is it the 5th? It's February 9th. February February 9th. 9th. February 9th. Yep. Yep. And for those who are listening before the ninth, um, there will be a chance to um, to get a free uh, pre-order bonus for ordering early. Um, so yeah, people can go to truecompanionsbook.com to order, and uh, and on that page, um, they can come back to it and, and enter their invoice uh, number. And what they'll do is on the day on February 9th, they will get a um, they're going to get a bonus, a completely 
um, new bonus ebook that I've written, um, which is essentially my. So you know, you finish a book. I finished True Companions back in June, and here we are. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's just coming up coming. in February. Yeah. Right. You got like seven, eight months of additional reflections and learnings, and this material continues to evolve as you think about it. And so basically, I've continued to journal those months. Um, new insights that build upon what's already in True Companions. And so that'll be the bonus for people who pre-order. So definitely encourage folks to go to truecompanionsbook.com and check it out. Very, very cool. Um, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. I'm always super grateful for your time, energy, and friendship. And you have, uh, you got you got the mic here anytime you want it. So you just you just tell me when you're itching to get back on. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Thank you for showing up with your true self you you've attracted so many amazing listeners that it's, it's just a blessing to come into a space and talk about these kinds of ideas and uh, and know that the audience is is just tracking and excited so thanks for being you and attracting amazing people thank you brother um maybe one day we just do an hour riff on true self just yeah. see where it goes just we've never done it no we've never done that but just unplugged let's let's just get go down the rabbit hole and Shoot, we may not come I out. Think, <laughs> I think it needs to be an hour because for about the first half hour, we'll just we'll we'll go to all of our go-to moves, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And then for the second half hour, we're gonna get into yeah. Oh, that's that's where we'll learn stuff. That'd You're be like, fun. Oh well, if it means that, then it has uh, to mean this. <laughs> yes, total total geek out session. That'd be amazing. Infinite knowability. We'll just hang on to that. <laughs> Love um, it. All right, brother. Grace and peace. Till next time. Likewise. Thank you.